Welcome to an emergency-ish episode of No Challenges Remaining. Let's call this one episode 162A. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm great. The Olympics are underway, and other things are also have happened. That was a terrible sentence, but we'll let it stand. Thoughts so far, I guess, on what we've seen in Rio. Let's start with that. Let's see. Rio. Really liked the opening ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like they were very refreshing, given what we had seen with like all the bombast and everything in both London and uh, and uh, Beijing in particular. So it was kind of nice to like have like a grounded uh, ceremony. That being said, it was kind of weird. Like the floor was kind of empty at times. Like the spacing was weird. It fe- it felt small. The opening ceremony felt small. It felt but... it felt small except for when they had the long pause for Giselle to walk all the way across the stadium. Then it was very big. Then you then realized the sheer scale <laughs> yeah. of the uh, Maracana. Um that was a hell of a walk though. Oh yeah. I've never been a Giselle fan, but like I got it. Like <laughs> like in that moment I was like, oh, "Okay, I get it. I get it. She's like supermodel. Like the last of the supermodels, you know?" Yeah. Yeah, so that was great. The tennis, you know, a little bit disappointed to see how slow the surface is. Very um, slow. Oh my god. Yeah, like when I turned in tuned in uh on on Saturday and watched like uh even just Madison's match, I just was like that ball is not moving in my discussions with the player like a few of the players just via text message and email. It's basically like the way that, that people have described it is like it's like Indian Wells, except that it's not dry air and you're playing with really heavy balls. Yeah. So not like Indian Wells at all. But that one, <laughs> that one rally between Gavrilova and Serena that went like insane. sort of viral, it was insane. But it was also just like these two cannot hit through the court at all. Yeah. And those are two players who hit the ball, yeah. you know, and they were just the rally kept going, going, going. I get people like, you know, slow court sometimes to make for good rallies, things like that. It's just uh, and I guess if, you know, Rafael Nadal and others had wanted these Olympics to be on clay, it's practically clay. So in terms of court speed, it might even be slower than some clay. So, uh, yeah, so it, it adds something to that element there. But the reason I guess we're talking the emergency element to this podcast is the result in the first round of men's singles on the top part of the draw where the match we would have circled as the best first rounder. It's not necessarily an upset threat, but definitely the, the marquee match was Juan Martin Del Potro against Novak Djokovic, rematch of London's bronze match. And Del Potro won in straight sets, in two tie breaks. I personally did not really see this coming. I did not think that Del Potro was ready for this kind of win on this stage. Did you, Courtney? Oh, I did not see it coming. I was definitely and firmly in the camp of everybody calm down. I get all of the parallels. Oh, bronze medal match. Oh, like it was you know, they're playing. Yeah. yeah, it was hypeable, but it w- but I was definitely in the camp of like everybody chill out. Novak is going to destroy him. Like that's genuinely what I thought because he, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Delpo, you know, in the last few months. It's not like he's been playing regularly. It's where we knew where his game was. Obviously, you know, given the the weeks in and weeks out of play that he did have earlier in the season, we saw what he could do. That there were flashes of of that Delpo brilliance, but 
but at the same time we saw a lot of you know what he couldn't do or at least we thought he couldn't do which like was specifically <laughs> yeah exactly hit over the, the ball on the backhand side so i really just didn't think that he was going to have a ch- uh, a chance at all today and boy did he completely prove me wrong and just i mean we overuse the word stun when an upset happens or or just a win like when a lower ranked player beats a higher ranked player stuns i i feel like this match and this result merits the word stunned like del potro stunned novak djokovic as he stunned the rest of us because holy crap didn't think he had it in him no and del and novak djokovic has not lost many of these tournaments that matter i mean he uh, granted he lost early at wimbledon in the third round of sam query another match that maybe is you know makes more sense as an upset on paper than it does in real life like this one i think you could probably say too uh then he went on to win canada uh he was the only big four guy who competed in toronto i believe and he saw it through pretty cleanly and yeah i just didn't expect this to happen we just haven't seen him be vulnerable in the early weeks and especially early rounds uh, on a hard court he hadn't lost a, a completed match on hard court all year uh all- Cincinnati wells or no a set that was the first th- sorry yeah set you're right. Yeah. But the le- first last time he had dropped a set was in Indian Wells on hard court. So like, yeah, all the metrics pointed one way and it just didn't feel like it was going to happen. It just felt like not in the first round, although I guess maybe, you know, maybe what applies and, and the, what we've always kind of called the Serena rule. Yeah, definitely applies to to the guys. You know, if you get them, you get them early. And then once you, you know, once, you know, those top guys make the quarterfinal rounds, they, they're pretty locked in and they're ready to go. But especially with this court and people have to remember, you know, the Olympics are a very different beast. This is not a clone of a regular tour event. And so little things, whether it be, you know, obviously the court conditions, the players got there and they're like, oh, OK, uh, fair enough. That's what we're working with. That's fine. They're used to changing conditions on a week-to-week basis anyway. But then in addition to that, not a lot of uh, practice time for most players. Yeah. You know, they, they had to go forward to a court. Quite a few of the players were tweeting about that. So kind of a, a, a lack of familiarity with what this court was doing, with what the balls were doing. A lot of different things kind of go together. And I think that kind of explains a lot of the surprising results that we've seen so far, uh, you know, just two days into the tournament. Yeah, just sticking to Novak... In particular, I get he still hasn't won a gold medal. He's the only one of the big four who hasn't, if you count Roger having won one in doubles. Uh, is and he saw how much the loss sort of affected him. He was in tears walking off the court. It was pretty incredible footage after a very nice, warm greeting with Juan Martín Del Potro at net and getting a hug. Everyone just wants to hug Del Potro no matter the situation. It seems like uh, Novak clearly was affected by this. And, and this, do you think that? I guess what I'm wondering is is the way he reacted to this loss something that in some ways validates or boosts Olympic tennis in some way to show that even though, you know, five of the top 10 guys aren't there, even though people say, oh, there's no ranking points, blah, 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 that it still does mean a lot to a lot of these players, even the top ones who, I mean, this is a guy crying about the Olympics, you know, less than two months after he completed his career slam and a count and and a Novak slam at that. Look, I mean, the whole debate about the Olympics and whether or not they're important or not important and what their place is within the tennis universe. The thing about the Olympics is they matter a lot to certain people and they don't matter to others. Right. Okay, so just because Novak or whoever uh, is absolutely gutted, um, you know, like I don't doubt that Venus is absolutely, you know, 
um, bummed, you know, about what happened in Rio, losing in the first round of both singles and doubles. It's so clear how much she cares about the doubles, or I'm sorry, about the Olympics. Novak, absolutely, I would never question that. I think Andy, obviously, loves the Olympics. Rafa, he says, if not for the Olympics, he would not be playing this week. Um, you know, so for certain players, it matters. For certain players, it doesn't. And that doesn't mean that, and that line is not, not drawn, at least I know this for a fact with the women's side. I don't know with the guys because I don't talk to them as much. But I know that with the women, uh, that line is not drawn with the people who are there at the Olympics and who are not there at the Olympics about who cares and who doesn't. It's not that clean. There are people who are there in Rio who know they have to be in Rio for a variety of different reasons that are separate and apart from, you know, their, you know, love, love of the si- Olympics. Yes, the Sidious, Altius, Fortius, you know, all of the, the, you know, they're two different things. And so... I don't think that Novak crying boosts the stature of the Olympics. I think the Olympics were really boosted in stature back in 2008. I think when, you know, Rafa really made a big run in Beijing to, and, and when all of them seemed to care at the same time, you know, like it, I think that that was the year that things started to change in terms of how important the tennis was at the Olympics for tennis players. But do I think that it like, means that it's more important now because Novak is heartbroken that he lost? No, I absolutely don't think that. I think that it matters to some, it doesn't matter to others. And that's one of the big differences that the Olympics has compared to the slams and the tour events is that everybody cares about the slams and the tour events, like the big ones. The Olympics, you do have people who are kind of like, meh, I don't know. No, I think that's right. And just to stick on the Novak-Del Potro match, this is Del Potro's third sort of big win i think of the year i'm counting him beating varenka at wimbledon and also he won against dominic team in madrid and after team had been playing so well team wasn't yet top 10 but was certainly on his way to being there del potro was I, I i don't know what to make of him he's like such a wild card in terms of like assessing him as a you know prospect for the future he's a he's played this very in and out schedule um but when he has played, he's played really, really well. It's almost like Kleisters-esque or something. <laughs> the way he comes out of nowhere and dormancy and seems to be more or less on top. But he also has this clear weakness in the backhand. But that weakness was not able to be exploited by Djokovic. I think that was partially... I think Djokovic might have won this court, won this match on a faster court. Because Agreed. Del Potro had so much time to get around his backhand, uh, which he wouldn't have had on, on grass. And that's part of why I was surprised that he was able to beat uh, Vavrinka. But any, anyway, all this is to say is is Delpo back? I I don't I'm hesitant to say that just because of how different he looks from Delpo 1.0. But he's getting results. He just beat Novak Djokovic at the Olympics. That's kind of a big deal. Look, I mean, I think that this um, obviously we love Delpo 1.0. Delpo 1.0 was just a gift from the tennis heavens on every way, shape, and form. But at the same time, we do have to automatically regardless of whether or not the player is back to their previous levels or not like draw a line when a fairly significant injury happens and because when especially to the joints and things like that their game is going to to naturally change because it has to and so with Delpo maybe this is Delpo 2.0 and he's never going to be able to hit that backhand the way that he used to do but that doesn't mean that he can't win matches or even be a contender at majors I mean the name that pops out to me is Maria Sharapova. I mean, mm. you talk about Maria pre-shoulder surgery and Maria post 
shoulder surgery, the level of success was pretty much the same, but they are two very different players. That's and, true. And you see that, you know, uh, very particularly with respect to kind of the the rivalries with like Serena and whatnot, like without the serve, she can't do much there and et cetera, et cetera. But all that is just to say for, for Delpo, you know, he found a way to win that match. And I agree with you. I think the court speed and the conditions had a ton to do with it. It was incredible. I mean, you just saw the area that Novak had to hit into the the the, the Delpo backhand shrink as the match went on. It it was like three by three, you know, like a meter squared in the backhand corner because anything that he missed just a little bit, Delpo was able to run around. And is that going to be successful on, on the rest of the tour's courts? I don't know. But yeah. I think also the other question is, I mean, if he does try and do the whole Kleister-Z thing of kind of popping in and popping out and being this unseated player uh, that's constantly coming up against the big guys early in tournaments, uh, it's going to be difficult, right? I mean, I think the the big question of whether he's back is is a consistent playing schedule. And I, I think it's better for the game and selfishly better for me if I get to see Juan Martin Del Potro play a full schedule of like 18 tournaments a year. Yeah, and I guess I think part of it is with how the deck is stacked against him game-wise, he can get these wins, but it's tough to, to string them together. I mean, that's what happened at Wimbledon. He beat Favrinka and then lost to Lucas Puy in the next round. And so, not that Lucas Puy is terrible, but it was a letdown on paper for sure. And and Del Potro just has an uphill climb in every match. And I'm not sure. He's getting better at it, but I still think the amount of focus it'll take to win with his current set of strengths and weaknesses is going to be tough to sustain. Like, I don't really expect him to meddle at this tournament. I don't know that he can back it up, even though the draw has broken pretty wide open. He was in a section... Novak was in a section that also featured Jack Sox, so there's no seeds there. So one of Del Potro, he plays Joao Sousa next, and the winner of Kyle Edmund and Taro Daniel. So that's that's to get to the quarterfinals. And then he could play Songa in the quarters, potentially, or Batista Agut. But yeah, there's opportunity here. Uh, Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. The men's draw, just on that note, was just way open. You really noticed when the draws came out, like how loaded the women's draw was with that Genie Sloan first round match, both of them unseated. Although obviously Genie's re- ranking isn't great, but still that was a pretty stunning match to see in the first round of a tournament this important. But the men, on the other hand, have you know Benoit Pair seated. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. I mean the 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 withdrawals definitely hurt the men's the men's tournament. Um, but you know, I mean, I think that the intrigue will will still carry through. Uh, you know, obviously with with Rafa looking good today and Andy as well, and and uh, all that good stuff. I think they, they they should still be all right. Those those boys, they're gonna have themselves a good tournament. I think. I would hope so. I would certainly think so as well. Uh, you you mentioned Venus Williams earlier, and I guess that was the biggest surprise of the women's draw was that Venus and Serena lost in doubles, and all the doubles carnage happened. Top two seeds in both men's and women's doubles all lost first round Venus and Serena out uh Garcia Mladenovic out with some outfit nonsense along the way or outfit wardrobe nonsense. malfunction yeah can you explain what that was for people who might not have seen those I'm I'm not sure I can explain but I will try to encapsulate what was said uh yes uh Christina Mladenovic and Caroline Caroline Garcia um number two seeds lost to the Japanese team of Misaki Doi and Eri Hozumi. And uh afterwards, and it was a weird scoreline because the Japanese team bageled them, and then the French team bageled them back. 
And then the Japanese team won 6-4 in the third. Afterwards, Christina Modenovich and Caroline Garcia both took to Twitter. And Christina Modenovich probably had a more robust tweet storm regarding it. But basically, she was incredibly frustrated because... Right before they were supposed to take the court, according to her, they were informed by ITF officials that their kits weren't matching in terms of color scheme. And so, and apparently that's against the uh, ITF Olympic rules. You have to, you, have you know, to if match, you're both yeah. wearing blue tops and white skirts, then you need to both be wearing blue tops and white skirts, regardless of, of sponsor. Um, they were scrambling around. Luckily, Moldenovich had a second dress on which she lent to caroline garcia but they're represented by different you know uh clothing companies so they had to like cover or wear that she had to wear the dress inside out or cover something up i don't know yeah um but anyways she was incredibly angry christina Modenovich. she blamed the fft uh for not knowing the wardrobe rules so that they could have told the players and the players could have uh, remedied it far in advance. And then she also said that had she not had that backup dress, they would have been defaulted. And that was a ridiculous thing for them because it was the Olympics and et cetera, et cetera. And all of that distracted them from playing their best because it was a very stressful pre-match non-routine. Yeah. I mean, I get that throwing you off, but at the same time, like once you get into a third set of the match and you've won the second set 6-0, you would think those sort of cobwebs would be done. Yeah, I mean, they, they did bagel them. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it, it's not like they were playing terrible tennis. They, they Mladenovich and Garcia did get a bagel. Um, so, yeah, and then it went into a third set. It wasn't a, a, a you know, a, 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 a third set or a super tie break like we have on tour, which, you know, you could argue then maybe there the margins are so much slimmer. Um, and you know, there was a little bit of luck, but it was a full, full third sets. And, uh, but yeah, no, st- I mean, I think that the, for me over the weekend, at least for the women's side, the, the losses by both Venus and Serena and Christina and Caroline were like the upsets of the weekend. Um, you know, Aga, Baczynski and, uh, Vinci going out weren't major shocks at all, but yeah, uh, those, those double upsets were, were weird. Yeah, on Radvanska, you, I mean, you mentioned her in the show last week as somebody who uh, has, you know, talked about London being weird in terms of the Olympics. And she's now lost in the first round of two Olympics in a row. And she lost to, do you think there, Do you think that's, is that a, enough of a sample set to say that those are correlated losses? That she's just something about her is not suited for Olympics or her tennis or her mindset? Or was it just about Sai Sai being part of this alternate wave of, of Asian players seeming to do really well at the Olympics? Because it was a great start for Asian tennis. Yeah, it, it's really hard to isolate the variables for Aga. I'd have to go back and see who, you know, she lost to in she, London. She lost to Gerga's first round in London. Yeah, I mean, on grass, yeah, maybe if, if you like uh, zones. But I don't know. I mean, I, I to me... Yeah, I mean, I think that some players are equipped for the Olympics and some players are not. Um, something about the Olympics, whether it's just curveballs about it or just a mental block, you know, I mean, you know, we, for example, with Aga, she she admits that she has kind of a weird mental block when it comes to the U.S. Open. She doesn't understand it. It, it makes no sense to her. But something about that tournament just doesn't sit well with her. So her results have always followed suit, even though she should be good on hard courts and she should do well there. Um, something about it doesn't fit well. And, and it, you get the sense with her that something about the the Olympics just doesn't suit her. And I think that that was compounded by the fact that, at least on this day, you know, she she gets to to Rio 
takes her what three and a half days to get there from Canada, having to go through Lisbon. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk about that because you were in in Montreal when all this travel <laughs> yeah. fiasco is happening. So can can you explain to people? I guess the difficulties people had and why it was so hard to get to Rio. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was hard for anyone getting home. My flight was actually, I wasn't going to Rio. I went back to San Francisco, but my flight was canceled and I had to stay overnight uh, one more night in Montreal. But um, so basically, obviously, the final was played on Sunday. Most of these players, because these flights have to be booked well in advance and tennis players obviously don't know where they're going to be on any given day everybody booked their flights for monday because they knew that worst case or best case scenario they make the final of the rogers cup and then they leave on monday so even the players who it was a very weird week in montreal because i'm not used to seeing the players still at a tournament that they've lost at for like days um usually they're out the next day but yeah like the hotel was constantly you kept running into you know players who were like either going to site to practice or going out to go sightseeing, just killing time until their flights on Monday. So, um, so yeah, so I got to the airport around uh, four or five o'clock. The players I knew were there already because they were on Twitter, but also I saw them leave the hotel um, about three hours before I did. And yeah, apparently there were a bunch of, it was a combination of um, weather related delays um, coming out of uh, somewhere on the East coast, but then also some, some, um, uh, mechanical delays, um, or in some cases like mine, a mechanical failure, in which case my plane never arrived. So my flight got canceled. Um, so yeah, so the players were all scrambling to try and get different flights, but the problem is everybody's going down to Rio. So getting a seat on a plane that is headed to Rio proved to be incredibly difficult. And so most of the players that, that were taking those late, um, those late Monday flights that were connecting through either New York or Miami got completely hosed by their delays. They missed their connections. They had to try and rebook, but there were no flights to, to Rio. Um, at the same time, Montreal had like five different festivals going on that day. So like flights even getting out of Montreal to anywhere were also booked up. Like you couldn't get on a flight to New York. You couldn't get on a flight anywhere. Mm. It was like a just a perfect storm of, of, uh, of problems. And I actually was told by our good friend Aki Uchida, Japanese journalist, um, because Masaki Doi was also part of that group. And she took it took her four days to get down to Rio, a little bit longer than the other girls. Eesh. And um, and she was in either New York or Miami, along with Kerber and Redvanska. Um, and apparently Aga did volunteer, like, I'm going to just rent us a plane. <laughs> <laughs> and like and like literally genuinely she was like i'm i'm gonna book us a flight or not a flight but a private jet and we're going down there because all there was a bunch of players stuck and then they they looked it up and they're like oh no that's too <laughs> <laughs> so like i think i i mean because i remember like when all this was happening i would see like fans being like just book a private jet and i'm like do y'all know how expensive that is <laughs> like it's really expensive <laughs> right. and you're, this is um, not federer we're talking about yeah so Masaki doi but Aga wanted to. She, her heart was in the right place. Her pocketbook was not there, but it was there. Anyway, so that's the whole ordeal. And so, you know, with Aga, it took her a while to get down there. I mean, obviously, it's not an excuse. It took Masaki four days. She won her first round match. And she same won with the Angie. Doubles. And she won the doubles. It's same with Angie. Uh, Arani won. Vinci lost, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the biggest thing with respect to the Rio result, the slow court, that court is like the opposite of anything that Redvanska would want a court to be. 
yeah. like super slow and high bouncing. Like she was, I, I, I remember watching like the first like four or five games of that match and I was like, oh no, you're done. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen today. <laughs> uh, poor Aga. Someday her Olympics, I'm sure Tokyo will be playing on like some sort of carpet or something to uh, suit her needs. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So any other, any other Olympic thoughts before we wrap up? I guess non-tennis. I guess what are your thoughts? I've seen you react to it. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but like Hope Solo at the Olympics. She's ha- she's having fun. Unique. She experience. is. Yeah. I mean, what people kind of don't realize, I mean, you know, it's kind of, it, it's like a yin yang sort of thing. What I've understood so far is that Bra- from like Brazilian fans and South American fans that are on Twitter, Brazilians really like booing. Mm-hmm. They really like booing from the stands. Like the France of South America. Exactly. They just they just love to boo. So you take that and you combine it with Hope Solo, who doesn't give a crap and just wants to win. And who picks and them he, off, which is say with background yes. by tweeting a photo of herself like in a mosquito, I don't know what you call that, like hat with the net thing yeah. and like a bandana around her mouth and looking all, you know, ready to dispose of nuclear waste when she was yes. talking about Zika concerns. Right. Which Brazil which Brazilians think are overblown. Which Brazilians think are overblown and which, you know, down on the ground, according to reporters, also seems they all say, yeah, it's like I haven't seen a mosquito because it's the winter time in Rio. Um, but anyways, yeah, so Hope Solo, every time she touches the ball, the Brazilian fans boo her. Uh every time she kicks the ball, they 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 yell really loudly, Zika, which is totally actually sounds like like the Icelandic like cheer like the way that they do it it's like this very guttural kind of like primal zika cheer um so you know and and hope solo's reaction is like hey however they want to have fun if they had a good time no problem and she's had two great games she saved the u.s's butt against france in a big way so she doesn't really care i mean if of any player that's on the u.s team the one you're going to bother the least (laughs) with like yelling crap is hope solo she don't give a crap that's probably right. Yeah, she's yeah. that for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, for better or worse. I mean, I don't trust me. She's not my favorite player. I try not to talk about her unless I have to because her history is very complicated. And I just she's a very good soccer player. And I'm just I I personally leave it at that with respect to Hope Solo. But um, but yeah, no, the Olympics have been fine. It's felt flat. I don't know. I just haven't really been into it. I have to be honest. I just and I like I love the Olympics, but I. I haven't been able to get into it this time, and I don't know why. You should watch. I don't know if you have. I think it's on Apple, whatever you have, Apple TV or Roku or whatever. They they have the NBC streaming thing, and they have this channel, which is like NFL Red Zone, called Gold Zone, which I highly recommend. Really? Which just, like, bounces around to, like, different events as important moments are happening or as medals are coming up soon. And I watched it today and watched Koreans dominate archery, as per always, which I, I know you remember watching. I hope you remember watching in 2012 when they had like the remember the korean yes. hipster archers the hipsters yeah yeah they weren't as hipster looking this time which was disappointing mm. i couldn't tell i couldn't remember if it was different archers or just uh um <laughs> Archer, or just toned down arch, archery uh, archery culture has moved on there was one girl who i think was one of the same ones i was trying to compare photos and, I, mm. and she was wearing instead of wearing like the little cartoon character thing she was wearing last time she wore like this like cow print thing which was whimsical but not quite hipster it was just sort of more you know, cosplay rustic yeah <laughs> rustic. <laughs> rustic archery so yes i mean i i like just like watching people do pretty much and that's the point of the olympics people will watch people do anything with metal on the line at some sports not, i can't not, watch not horse stuff i'm not gonna watch a person sit on a horse no definitely not the other sport i don't like 
is fencing. I can never follow what? what's happening in fencing. Like I just like I I barely understand. I can ba- I can't watch fencing and tell you like without the lights coming on who should have won each point. Like it's just hard to see. True. Who touches first? But it's just it's like I just imagine fencing like the end of their swords are not blunted. And I just imagine like legit sword fighting. And so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I, to me, like it's like way tense and super high stakes. It's like if you're like, I like rifle because I imagine the guns don't get at each other. <laughs> yeah. If you imagine a completely okay. different sport and different scenarios, and yeah, everything is pretty great. Like the swimming where like they all have anvils tied to them. It's exactly. Really I imagine yeah. that they're drowning, in which case <laughs> their accomplishments are tremendous. The only sport that you don't have to imagine that is gymnastics. Oh God! Because I was having this conversation with my family this week th- over dinner today. I just okay. Here's the thing: at what age? And I'm asking this genuinely. I'm not trying to make a joke. But at what age? Because I don't know. At what age are you told? So I need you to go and sprint full speed towards that thing, and like when you get close to it, jump. And you're going to hit this spring thing. Now, when you do that, put your hands out and fly directly into this horsey thing. And it'll spring you and catapult you over the top and you'll land on your feet. After doing several flips. At what? Like, so who signs up for that? I mean, it's, it is an insane concept. <laughs> it's remarkable that that more people don't have grievous injuries in gymnastics. I was happened to be, I was with Tumani's here in DC and he's a big gymnastics fan. And he's like, we put on the, the gymnastics. I was like, okay, we turn it on. Literally the first thing we see is this French guy going off the vault, oh, breaking his I haven't watched it. And I don't refuse watch to it. watch it. I don't watch it. If you've seen one leg injury, you've seen them all. His Inju- Injury porn is not my his, style. His foot is just pointing the wrong way. Um, oh. And so, yeah, and th- that, and Tawani was saying, like, that's what sh- it shows, like, people take for granted how dangerous it is most of the time, which, true, but I also don't need to be reminded of that in such fashion. But that also, but that also is, like, the problem that I have a little bit with particularly women's gymnastics is, Did I mean, you see this is... British girl who got, who clearly got a concussion and kept going? Oh, dear. Oh, really? No. Oh, yeah. So there's this British girl named Ellie Downey, I want to say her name is, and she was doing floor exercise in this weird flip where it looked like she completed it, but then she just kind of landed on her head for no reason. I can't really describe it, but it was odd looking. <laughs> and then, and she first started, kept going, but then she was like, wait, no, I have a concussion and walked off the mat. But then she comes running back onto the competition floor and does her vault. It's like, what? How? How are you letting head injury girl go off a vault? After I you've just, seen French guy lose a leg. But this what are is you my, doing here, people? This is my thing about women's gymnastics. And trust me, I've been around gymnastics. My sister was an elite rhythmic gymnast. Like, rhythmic, not artistic, but obviously I've been around the whole gymnastics thing. And I just don't get it. And I have, not don't get it, I get it. It's so incredible, like the, like the physicality and the art- artistry and whatever. But I don't like the fact that, like, we're watching these women, these young women uh dolled up with all this makeup and like kind of weirdly sexualized in their own little way uh running around and like doing this thing that is so incredibly dangerous but we're all pretending is totally not like you know what i mean like there's just a a, a dissonance there that i just it really really bothers me so i love i like floor um the bars i don't mind either i like the bars I like yeah because like worst comes to worst you fell down like what t- like 
eight feet, seven feet, eight feet. Oh, whatever. less than that. Less than the yeah. flowers are like six feet. Maybe. Balance beam I can't deal with because I just find it weird and awkward anyway. Like they're doing all these moves, but there's no music going on, but they're doing like dance moves. I don't know. Don't really dig that. Um, and then yeah, vault just it's it's very difficult for me to volunteer to watch it. Yeah. It's That's tough. Fair. That's fair. So yeah, that's it how I feel about the Olympics these it days. It makes me appreciate the watching all these sports, like how tennis, and for better or worse, tennis is low stakes. Nobody gets concussions on court almost ever, with respect to Casey Delacqua and Eugenie Bouchard's floor incident. Um, and nobody, you know, gets uh, you know grievous leg injuries. No one Kevin wears themselves or Joe Theismann or whatever you want to say. Tennis doesn't have much of that. And tennis also isn't as stressful where it's like once every four years, unless you I mean going back to Djokovic crime, but once every four years, like your whole life's training doesn't depend on your toe slipping off the balance beam and changing your future forever. It's kind of tennis kind of like not that big a deal. It's like, it's like tennis is okay. There's another point. Just win the next point. If you don't win the point, don't win the match. Eh, you lost another <laughs> tournament next week. I do kind of like that. I mean, I, I, I mean, genuinely no joke. Like I, I think that's one of the reasons why it's always drawn. I've always been drawn to it as a sport is just like, not that it's low stakes, but that it's, you know, it's lather, rinse, repeat. Like you just kind of, it's, it just chugs along yeah. and it's a great sport and I enjoy it very much. As Billie Jean King once said about tennis, you only get one chance at life but you get two serves. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. Oh, and by the way, can we just give a quick shout out right now? Uh-huh. The team of Mary Carrillo and Renee Stubbs, tremendous. They're calling the tennis for Bravo. They're wonderful. Carrillo's been throwing in the the little zingers and and little bits of, of hilarity. Stubbsy's been great as an analyst, which I've always believed she's been really good as an analyst. Um, they've been calling like the women's matches. It's been great. I think Anna Cohn, James Blake has been great mm-hmm. on Bravo as well. So yeah, the commentary has been has been good for the Olympics. I think it's interesting. It's, it's from Connecticut. A lot yeah. of the commentary, which you well, can kind of tell sometimes. I think that Carrillo's in Carrillo's in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure where Stubbs. I think Stubbs must be in Connecticut, but no way they can't call them both in separate. I don't think so. I wouldn't I think, think they're so. Next to each other. Maybe 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 Stubbs is down there. Yeah, but the, I think the guys are not down there. I, yeah. None of the guys. There's like one like on-site reporter, um, Trenny, Trenny, Trenny. She's done well. Yeah. She's gotten some scoops. Yeah. So it's good. The mixed zone atmosphere works well for TV. They can just come right off court and they have off to talk. No this matter is what. true. So a lot of good loser interviews, things like that. It's been nice. Yeah, and Carrillo is always a treat. Carrillo will definitely be calling the gold medal match matches, I would hope. Faux show. Which always get great ratings. And that's the thing about Olympics. And I have noticed this. And I know, Courtney, you, um, I don't know if it's your rant, but you, you block quoted angrily that comment about, you know, women liking stories more than sports or something the NBC person said, which is not ideal. Um, but I do notice a lot of people who I'm friends with who aren't sports fans suddenly like very aware of everything at the Olympics. Yep. It's an interesting transition to make every four years. Well, it's like what Lindsay Davenport always said, which is that like she could win slam, she could be number one, but like to people outside of tennis, she's a gold medalist. And that means more to them. That's what they want to see is that. They don't want to see slam trophies and whatever, but it's the thing that resonates outside of tennis. And that's why for her, like that gold medal means so much. And um and yeah, so you know, it's uh it's a good thing. 
And this has been a good thing. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. Speaking of Billie Jean King and Second Chances, we'll have an episode on World Theme Tennis uh, coming out soon, next couple days, hopefully, coming together. All sorts of fun interviews and archival audio from the glory days of World Team Tennis. It's uh, been fun to put together. Hopefully you all enjoy it when it is complete. And you can follow along with that show and other shows when you're not listening by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. Follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us reviews on iTunes as well as any other podcast app. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on TuneIn. All sorts of fun things there to get episodes automatically, which is pretty great. Questions for upcoming episodes or comments on anything, you can send to no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Executive producers of No Challenges Remaining are Pancha Resendez of TennisBalls.com and Tao Woolley. Do you have rants to share with us? Feelings? Higher, faster, stronger feelings? I do. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dump them all right here. So for the Olympics, I've stocked up on a lot of snacks, of course. Uh, which is kind of weird because I'm actually only here until Thursday and then I head off to Cincinnati. So I've actually probably overstocked on snacks, but I tried out Amazon Pantry, um, which is Amazon's food delivery service, which was actually really great. Um, they have it for both like uh, fresh foods and non-perishables and all that sort of stuff. But anyways, so in so doing, I bought, I'm staring at it right now, three boxes, one box of Hostess cupcakes, a box of Hostess Twinkies, <laughs> and a box of cher- Hostess cherry pies. Now, I just love che- how fat kid this order is, by the way. It's <laughs> so like, that's- I'll go to the Hostess aisle and just one of each. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, that's not even all that I'm staring at. We got some Nutter Butters. Oh, boy. Got some Cheez-Its, got some beef jerky down there, got a Slim Jim pack up here on my desk, some gummies over here. Anyways, it's disgusting. I don't know what I was thinking. I shouldn't order things online at four o'clock in the morning. But I regret to inform everyone that the Hostess pies that we grew up on that used to be like in those little waxed paper packages have changed in two very important ways. One, they are now put in boxes like kind of like if you imagine how like the old McDonald's apple pies we'd put in boxes like that, which is annoying. I don't like it. I think it's a waste of of paper. Uh, and secondly, they've changed the recipe because the cherry pie, which I used to love because it was kind of tart, is no longer tart. It's just really sweet. And I'm oh. like really annoyed by that. So not feeling that at all. Um, and you know what? I'm just going to leave my rant at that. <laughs> I could keep going. I have so many snack-related things I could argue about. But I'm just going to leave it at that because if I keep going, it's just going to be embarrassing for me. Oh, here's another rave. Follow Leslie Jones on Twitter during the Olympics. I mean, generally, but follow her for the Olympics. Her Olympics commentary has been hilarious. Leslie Jones is on SNL. She's a comedian. She's also in the new Ghostbusters. She's been killing it. Her video about Serena, I want to make as my new ringtone. But there you go. We can maybe put it as the outro for this, let's say. Uh, there you go. Um, I will also rant fat kiddily. I accidentally was at the supermarket buying, you know, Quaker Chewy bars. I always get the peanut butter chocolate chip ones. I think they're really good. They're like granola, so granola Reese's form. However, I accidentally picked, without noticing, picked off the shelf for like the two for whatever sale. So I got two boxes accidentally of the ones that have 25% less sugar on like the box. Like 25% less <laughs> sugar, healthy. It is makes such a difference in such a bad way. And if you're going to eat something that's not healthy, like a chewy bar, just embrace it. 
and get the full satisfactory experience. I was like people who like, I remember being at an ice cream shop once and someone, another customer there ordered a milkshake with skim milk. Like you're all, you're already drinking a milkshake. All right. Don't mitigate this. Just embrace it. Have your little cheat moment fully. And then you can go back to eating, you know, kale juice the rest of your life. But when, when you're going for something that's supposed to be a savory, pleasure, unhealthy experience, just make the most of it. Don't bring down the joy by bringing down the calories. Totally agree, said the woman who bought three boxes of Hostess <laughs> dessert cakes. That's what we're just saying. I mean, we were saying in this Olympic spirit, you know, when you're going to go for something, go for it. Test your, your limits. Reach for the stars. You might surprise yourself as to what you can do. And I certainly did with respect to my food order. But yeah, you know, I mean, look, it's kind of my week off insofar as like, I don't, I'm not on the road. So I was like, I'm just going to sit and eat snack cakes and watch the Olympics. That sounds like a, that sounds like the dream. You know what? That's all I've ever wanted. I think Michael Phelps and, you know, Carrie Walsh and all of them, they want you to do that. They do. They're Absolutely. out there being, you know, athletes so the rest of us don't have to (laughs) (laughs) and i salute them literally just saluted Ah, in my chair amazing america lovely country good at the olympics yay us yay world yay world go world go eat and we'll see you guys next time uh world intense episode and then from cincinnati where we will be eating courtney like this time next week we will be at applebee's how cool is We will that? be at Applebee's this time next week. And yeah, there's going to be Skyline and Graders. Ugh. Ch- chicken and waffles. Some chicken and waffles. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Midwest. Some Midwest eating. Sounds good. And we will see you guys from there. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>